Welcome back, everyone. You motherfucker. What'd you say? (laughs) Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Front Row Cinema, a movie podcast for movie lovers by movie lovers. I am your host, as always, TJ Trimboli, and with me is my co-host, acclaimed scholar, came to us all the way from the Charles Xavier School for Gifted Children, Dr. James O'Reilly. Hey, what's going on, buddy? It's going, man. And each week we run down a movie from my 1,000 movies in theaters, and we see how well it's aged along with the hype surrounding the film, its box office analysis, and legacy in the film industry. And we've got a whopper of a movie tonight. Jim, what are we watching? X-Men. We're watching the 2000 superhero film X-Men, directed by Brian Singer and starring Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, and Ian McKellen. X-Men tells the story. It depicts a world where an unknown portion of people are mutants, possessing superhuman powers that make them distrusted by normal humans. It focuses on mutants Wolverine and Rogue as they are brought into a conflict between two groups with radically different approaches to bringing about the acceptance of mutant kind, Charles Xavier's X-Men, and the Brotherhood of mutants led by magneto that's not a bad log line right there compared to some of the other ones that we've uh come across yeah i mean it's straightforward it's a bit of a mouthful but yeah it makes sense it is a bit of a mouthful whenever you have to do a lot of setup before you can get to what the actual log line is never never a good sign there that's so the more sentences you need the tougher that log line be- starts to become yeah, but I mean, it did capture the movie pretty well. So it did. Once, that once, works. once we get into the central conflict, I love the uh, just the the radically different approaches from Charles Xavier's X Men and the Brotherhood of Mutants. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, they are kind of radically different, I suppose, in ideology. I, I about halfway through the movie, I couldn't help but think that Charles Xavier is just using a front school to create a paramilitary organization. But <laughs> we're not so different, you and I. He was sort of doing exactly what everyone was afraid of. <laughs> yeah, like he even says when he's like showing uh Wolverine around, he's just like underneath the ground under the ground, it's a whole different story. And yeah, that, show, that's exactly the part I'm talking about where I was like, Yeah, why are you doing that? That's... Jean Grey's got like a crazy laboratory, like they got sweet rides, like <laughs> yeah. he's he's got a whole room where he can just like telekinetically connect to any person on the planet yeah anybody in the world they've got that jet where they're like man if you can find this thing you're doing great like <laughs> i and they have every reason to be afraid of these people Ah, oh, but this was this was a fun one to go back to and watch this is one of the first movies i think that we've come across that i hadn't watched since i had seen it in theaters like this is probably the first time i've watched it it what it came out in 2000 so almost 23 years um so it was interesting to go back and see like a completely different era of superhero movies on screen compared to what you see today yeah and i mean right there wasn't this is like the before times when there wasn't very many superhero movies at all yeah, like before this movie it was what just really tim burton's batman yeah i mean that's, that's probably the, i mean the superman movies with christopher christopher reeve were a thing Oh yeah, those were. I always forget those because, spoiler alert, hot take. I hate all of those. I don't even like really? the first. Yeah, I don't even like the first two. I don't wow, know. I don't know what it is. Really I just. I don't know. I just of all this. I'm. I'm famous, as you know, for not enjoying superhero movies. Um, and I think Superman is at like the top of that list because he's just the most boring character i've ever come across yeah i mean that's i definitely can understand where you're coming from he's sort of invulnerable which always makes things a little bit boring um but yeah i mean like there was superhero movies existed before x-men um but they weren't anywhere near what they are today right which is like i don't know how many of them come out a year now between everyone superhero movies it's almost too hard to count the amount that come out these days it's it's definitely slowed down post covid but it's still a lot like you had what i think four from dc this year and three from marvel that's already a lot yeah yeah and i mean like 
it's I, I guess the way I would put it is that I don't even know that I would call it its own genre back when X-Men came out. Uh, it definitely is now. But back then, X-Men was more an action movie than anything else that it just happened to be based on like a thing I had heard of, you know, and like interacted with before. Absolutely. Yeah, because it was such a new it was such new ground that they were breaking, especially in X-Men. You feel it because it it feels so like I don't want to say slow because it's not that. But you you see like how frenetic the superhero movies are today and watching this original x-men is like watching like a slow drama compared to like how crazy they are today yeah i had i had that exact thought while i was watching this movie which was like and i guess that's kind of why i would say that it's more of a genre now because there's a, it's a lot more predictable like what beats you're gonna hit in those movies and when you're gonna hit them um and yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know that I would call X-Men a slow movie, but it's noticeably slower than your average Marvel affair these days, right? Um, like, I don't know that, the, I know they're, like, making an X-Men movie. I would imagine it's not going to be anything like the one that I just watched, you know? Yeah, especially even later X-Men movies. <laughs> like, if you were to watch that X-Men movie and then go and watch the last one they made, X-Men Dark Phoenix, you would be like this is the same universe yeah i mean yeah so right and that dark phoenix is what like 2016 2017 so that's definitely more a part of the like modern superhero zeitgeist for sure didn't dark phoenix come out right before covid wasn't it like 2019 i have no idea you you probably know better than i do honestly i was just guessing i think dark phoenix was like right before covid i could be wrong but i, th I think it was later like that yeah, but i mean so you, you like, look but you look at any of the x-men movies that came out in the 2010s and they were much more of, of what you expect of a superhero movie today compared to this like it doesn't even feel like the same franchise you you compare yeah, like those two even, movies even days of future past right is so different than this first time this first movie yeah absolutely uh, and i think i think not to jump too far ahead but i think that's to this movie's credit like the original x-men's credit um it's def i definitely liked the first like half hour 45 minutes of this movie a lot was this a movie did you see this one in theaters do you remember do you have any memories of seeing this movie as a kid when it came out i remember i'm pretty sure i saw this in theaters with my dad i couldn't tell you much more than that i know i also this was another classic that big rob took me to um and it's been interesting looking at these as we've done them week over week because this is the first time that i've noticed as we've been going through these episodes that I was seeing movies consistently because, you know, two weeks ago we did perfect storm that came out. And then a week later after perfect storm, scary movie came out and we went and I went and saw that last week's episode. And then now this week's ex episode X-Men came out the week after scary movies. So that's three weeks in a row. Oh yeah. And, so we're starting, we're starting to get into like a rhythm here. Yeah. We're getting some consistency here. Big, big Rob was like every Friday, let's go baby. Right. Get in the car. We're going to catch the movie. Yeah. That, that's interesting if we if we really start doing it every week which i think at some point will happen we might be able to get into some more context about like stuff that was going on and other other things like that yeah and seeing how quickly like these movies dropped out of like the box office once we start getting and i think we'll get there once we start getting to when you know you and me and all the guys used to go to the movies every week we'll start getting into a lot of that stuff but it was interesting to see it now looking at this and i was like oh hey look hey in the summer of 2000, Big Rob was, he was wheeling and dealing. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, it was, that was uh, an interesting one to see. That also has came up also as I was looking for that, um, as far as um, box office tally, because not only was that like the first three weekends that I noticed that my dad took me to the movies in a row, but a note that I saw that I learned that was pretty interesting is those three movies that we just talked about, The Perfect Storm, Scary Movie, and then now X-Men, right, was the right. first time in history that the box office had three consecutive weekends where the new movie grossed over $40 million. The first time ever, you're saying? Yeah. Huh, where three movies conse consecutively week over week, three new movies being released, all made over $40 million. First time in history. Which is yeah, such a thing that you wouldn't think to happen that late. Because you see it so prevalently now, 
But then at the same time, you look at it and you're like, no, like the 90s movies, like while you got like movies that would come out and do big numbers, like it wasn't week over week. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way that the stat that you just threw at me makes it seem like we're kind of in the middle of when the box office is really turning into like a boom. You know what I mean? We're we're really in that heyday where it's really starting to turn into what we would look at it as today, where you're starting to get those juggernaut of movies that would come out or more consistency of moviegoers going to cinema. Yeah, and I mean, like, I just know, like, it's 2000 is the year we're up to now, and I just, I know from being alive at this time that Spider-Man is waiting in the wings, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's really the first movie that I can remember that that was, like, a huge box office, like, it was, like, news, like, you woke up on Monday, and and before school, it was, like, Spider-Man made a hundred plus million dollars, and it was, like, a big deal, you know? Like we're definitely in that season now where you're starting to see this box office shape itself. And it's a fun thing to look back on because when we were kids, like I never thought about any of that or anything. You were just like, because I, I, that was the thing I always used to talk about when we were in high school was shitting so much on the movies that were coming out that we were going to see week over week because, you know, I, I grew up watching you know turner classic movies with my grandma so i watched so many movies from the 40s and 50s um and i loved that style of filmmaking in those old style movies so when we were in high school and we were seeing these movies that were coming out i consistently just shit on so many of them but now like i look back on it and realize just how many good movies that we were getting and how just of a juggernaut that you know 10 plus years of movies that we were seeing in the mid 2000s were to cinema like you don't realize it when you're living through it but looking back on it now it was like there was so much more important than we realized yeah it'll be interesting i think to keep going through because i'm i'm definitely want to look back on a time that in my head is a much better time for movies and see if i still think that you know what i mean uh and if, if there's like if there's any survivorship bias where, you know, most of the time I'm just watching the ones that I really, really liked. So it's interesting to go back and look at the ones that I was just seeing every week. You know what I mean? Like that I maybe don't necessarily remember. So no, I get what you're talking about. It's, it's going to be a cool thing to dive into. I agree. See the ones that like slip through the cracks that like we don't return to like year after year. Yeah. Like a year from now, we could be talking over uh, zoom and saying, Man, the 2000s weren't nearly as good as I remember. It's definitely <laughs> possible. I don't think that's what's going to happen. But Entirely possible. No, I don't think that will happen either. There, I think there was so many more gems in there than we realized as kids going to the movies. Um, so I think that's going to be a lot of fun when we, you know, continue to get deeper into the, you know, the mid 2000s and, and see all these movies that we went and saw when we were in high school and realized that we saw some really good fucking movies. But anyway, we're talking about X-Men. Jim, let me hear some other box office stats. That was the big one that I saw. Um, what ones did you see in there that dropped in for X-Men? Okay, so it opened July 14th, 2000 uh, with $57.5 million in the opening weekend. This is a pretty interesting one because we're, we're starting to add a lot of qualifiers here. Highest opening for a superhero film non-sequel released in July. <laughs> very specific so yeah right we're really honing in on like i don't know how many of those do you think there was at the time like a couple <laughs> like yeah, right there was probably like what the the two batman movies that came out over the summer like <laughs> yeah well and that's assuming they came out in july who the hell who the heck really knows you know um but yeah so i mean but still like you said that that 57 and a half million goes to that that three weeks in a row where people were having big opening weekends and uh at the time this was the sixth biggest opening ever which is still crazy to think about yeah like it really is like um it really it feels like we're just at the beginning of the box office becoming like huge business you know because these numbers aren't really that impressive to me like just like at first glance and then it seems like every time we talk about one that makes a lot of money opening weekend it's in the top 10 ever you know what i mean 
Because like you would look at that at face value and be like, all right, 57.5. Like that's, you look at it and today you're like, that's a modest opening weekend. And then you see it and you're like, oh no. And that came out, it was the sixth biggest ever to happen. And you're like, yeah, oh for shit. Like a big ensemble superhero movie, 57 and a half million would be like a huge failure these days. If, if the latest X-Men movie opened up to 57.5 million be a way different story today yeah and i mean so like you know this that's this is obviously 20 years ago but even like in like 2010 and 2015 you know i feel like 100 million became a pretty regular occurrence there for a while that was like less and less impressive and um so yeah it's just interesting to see we're kind of at like the cusp of when that's gonna start taking off it looks like it's also the second largest opening weekend of the year behind Mission Impossible 2. So, right, like, this is, like, big business in the year 2000. And behind Mission Impossible 2, which, how dare you not have seen that movie? I kick myself. Well, dude, like I, like I told you, I, I came way too late to the John Woo party, and I kick myself every day for it. We might we might have another candidate for flicks you missed. Oh, dude, that would be a good flick you missed, man. Mission Impossible 2, absolute classic. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll get into what that is a whole another time. But so it finished its run with 157.3 million domestic, 139 million international, just a shade under 300 million total with 296.3. For trying to kick off a franchise and putting out such a big question mark of a movie, that's that's really solid. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if you if you're ever questioning if a movie was a success, if they made two sequels, it was. You know, they were very happy with what happened. If you got a trilogy back in those days, like you did, you did good business. Like you were doing good. That's crazy. Yeah, those are good numbers, especially for such a because that was probably such a gamble to make that movie back then. Because, like you said, like Spider Man is really the the impetus that really takes off the superhero franchise like this this was like the appetizer so for this movie to do as well as it did and have the gumption to put out this movie before you had something like spider-man that blew up and showed that these kind of franchise like spider-man's the golden boy and before the golden boy came out they were like let's try the x-men yeah and i mean there's a lot of big names in this movie uh, that i imagine called some pretty high salaries like demanded some pretty high salaries to pay out were uh, they I mean, though back about, then i mean patrick stewart was right ian mckellen was i know that the, yeah. i know that they were popular like they were famous for sure oh, no i'm sure those two were because obviously yeah, patrick stewart's coming off of star trek ian mckellen is well he hadn't made lord of the rings yet uh yeah that's true so what was he really known for before because I, the, as a kid, the first thing I can remember seeing him in is this. Like he was a big, like um, Broadway actor. Um, gotcha. Okay. So and like a West End actor. Video. Yeah. So he That's couldn't tough. have cost that much. I think Patrick Stewart was probably the most expensive guy. But even still, like, yeah, how much could he like, possibly you, have cost? That's fair. Like this, Hugh Jackman was kind of like not really a thing when this movie. This came was his out. first movie. Kind of I what think. makes him a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anna Paquin, was she, she was a child actress in, the, what, like, Fly Away Home? Like, I guess, yeah. All right, so fair enough. Yeah, it's a lot of people who are going to become famous. But still, that's a gamble. That's such a gamble to be like, let's make I mean, this, that, that this ensemble more of movie. a gamble, right? If there's, yeah. if there's, like, a huge ensemble of people that aren't really that popular or famous. Yeah. And, yeah, so that that's a huge gamble. And that they were probably kissing the ground with that worldwide uh, total right there. One of the, uh, my my last little bit of research that I was looking in and that made me chuckle uh, before we really dive into the meat and potatoes of yeah. this movie is uh, take a guess at where you think they premiered the movie. Um, I don't know. I don't know, somewhere in New York City. That well, yes, in New York City, but these motherfuckers decided to hold the premiere for this movie on Ellis Island. Oh, okay, because that's where it ends. Yeah, okay. yeah, but that's like that's one of those things that like I looked at it and you're like, oh yeah, that's that makes sense, and then you move on. But then I'm sitting there thinking of it, and I was like, dude, I would be so pissed if is I had there, to get is there all... a movie theater on Ellis Island. No, there's not. 
So like that, I would be so pissed if they were like, yeah, we want you to get all dressed up and then we're going to throw you in a boat. We're going to take you down to Ellis Island. And you're going to watch it on this weird looking screen on right along the side of Ellis Island. It's probably like, there's no way they got a good screen or a good sound system. They're like, they were probably watching it like outside on like a projector. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, that doesn't sound like the way I would want to watch a movie. Yeah. I mean, like, like a cool stunt, I suppose. I'm sure that exactly, got some it, yeah, it was one of those things that, like, you could tell it was just like a big star. So, but like the second they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna get, everyone's gonna get on a boat. We're gonna go to Ellis Island," I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm not coming to that." Do you think they like sprung it on people, or like I feel, I feel like they knew they were going right? Well, yeah, you probably knew in advance. But like, if I if I was like one of the actors in that movie, and like my agent was like, "Oh yeah, they're gonna hold the premiere at Ellis Island," I'd be like, "I'm not going to that. Get me out of that." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'd be like, "Fuck that noise." Let's dive into the goodies. Let me hear from you, Jim. What uh, what worked for you in this movie? Uh, I mean, I suppose the ensemble part of it kind of worked, and also didn't work for me. Um, I can agree I, with that. I I think it was a a pro and a detriment to it at the same time. Yeah, I like. I thought the movie was strongest early on when it was just really kind of Wolverine and Rogue, um, traveling together and like meeting each other and all that um so i liked and i did like the the opening with uh like the concentration camp and uh magneto's kind of like very brief origin story and then like the setup for what he was start trying to do um so yeah i liked it when it was like smaller when there was like a clear villain and um there was two people that i was following uh and then once it got bigger like I kind of enjoyed like how they interwove the powers into a lot of the first like 45 minutes to an hour, like really like every scene was was being driven by them in some way. Um, like it felt like they got like the most out of it. And part of that was because they had so many different places they could go to to draw on. Um, so I liked that. But it also like the middle of the movie felt like very directionless to me, you know, um, it was hard for me to really sink my teeth into like who was important and i mean like rogue obviously was um um but yeah i don't know i just felt like it meandered through the middle of the movie just because there was so many people i was trying to keep track of and trying to be interested in if that makes sense oh absolutely because i think this movie suffers from the same problem that the phantom menace does that we were talking about is that there's no clear protagonist like there's yeah, no clear fair. main like you start we start with Magneto's origin story and I'd never I am always a firm believer in the opening scene should establish our villain and how much of a force he can be before we meet our heroes and but then from there we're introduced to so many people that you never get a clear idea of who we're supposed to be latching onto and following here that's going to go through the big cathartic change and clearly in this movie it's Wolverine but they wanted to also be rogue but yeah, they see, can't decide on who they firmly wanted to be. So you're just constantly crisscrossing to the point that every time that you would settle in with one, it switches to the other one. And now you're playing catch up again. And it just, it, it hurts the movie in that sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get like, probably like a little too nerdy and like, um, nitpicky here. Oh, get, get nerdy for me, girl. I would say there's like a difference between your protagonist and your main character, right? Like, and to me, Wolverine is really the main character in this movie. He's, he's tends to be at the center of the, what's happening at the plot. Um, he's like the person you're watching in the big cool fights most of the time. Um, he, you follow him. I, I want to say he probably has the most screen time out of anybody in this movie, but that's just more on feel than anything else. Um, so I would say he's your main character. And then I would say Rogue is really like your protagonist just because you see her first. You see like what her like core issue is, like where she can't like get close to people. Like literally if she touches people, they die, you know? Um, and by the end of the movie, she's like, you know, she's like playing foosball with her friends and she's like, you know, it's, it's all gonna be okay. Um, like, I think she's really the person who goes from like makes the biggest change over the course of the movie um so yeah i mean but i agree with you though that like there is like too much push and pull between those two and like because wolverine's the one with the most screen time and because the change is happening mostly to rogue like the change with rogue almost feels cheap you know and i think that's something that 
they needed to work on, especially because like I got no problem with you wanting to do an ensemble and you wanting to have, you know, your multiple, you know, storylines that we're going to follow. The Yeah, and the especially problem, in an X-Men movie, right? Like you yeah. kind of have to do an ensemble. That's like the whole point of it. Yeah, when you have so many of them, you know, you're going to need to juggle a bunch of moving threads. My issue mainly though with this movie is that most of those threads all just feel like setup. Like Wolverine is the main character and he has the majority of screen time, but everything that we learn about him is all just set up for the next movie. Yeah, that's fair. Right. It's all about, cause that's, that's what happens in X2, right? He goes and uncovers everything. Everything with Stryker. Yeah. And like you get the bits of it in here where like Gene touches him or whatever, and they see like a bits and pieces fragments and they you know learn that like oh the adamantium was made here or done here or whatever and he sees the like flashes and then at the end of the movie he just gets the location of a base and it's just like really (laughs) yeah he's got some things to take care of up north yeah yeah so like his whole entire journey in this movie just feels like setup and that's the exact thing that we were rallying about with phantom menace too is that the whole movie just feels like setup for later movies and when you look back on it like i'm sure like once we watch x2 it'll be like oh you know like that really like when you when you can watch the full trilogy you're like oh yeah this all feels like part of one grand thing but when you're taking these movies at face value for the one specific one you're watching it cheapens it yeah and that that always drives me crazy with um trilogies back then like i feel like it's a thing all the time where the first movie is really good and like a standalone movie and then once you start trying to make things into too much of a franchise and try and interconnect them too much and try and set up things for down the line, like, yeah, like, I always hate it when the standalone movies in a trilogy, I can't just watch them and enjoy them. So, yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. Like, like his screen time is is moving the plot along, but it's also, like, more focused on what's going to happen in movie two and movie three. And even, like, even, yeah, like, even the... The relationship, like the the weird love triangle that gets started in this movie between him, Cyclops, and Jean Grey, like there's no real payoff to it. It's just kind of like this weird like seasoning in this movie, and then eventually it pays off, like you know, seven years later in in the third movie. And there's no a lot of the threads in this are all just set up with the and and I think that's where the biggest misstep probably is in what they should have focused in on this movie because I have no problem like if you want to like set up those threads like obviously if you're going to create this franchise like you need to sprinkle stuff that is kind of like a teaser for what you could expect you know going forward when we open up this world more but the best movies that tend to be able to do that are ones that hone in on a specific thread of an a story and then use those b stories and c stories to sprinkle those spreads And the problem here is that they want to have their cake and eat it too, where they want Wolverine to be front and center, but they want his story to be sprinkled for later stories. So I think this movie would have been better focused if our main characters focused in on the thing that works the most for me. And that is the dichotomy between Xavier and Magneto. Yeah. And I mean that, right. That is kind of the thing that's driving this movie, right? It's like these two old friends like on this collision course that is just like they both know they're on you know and like they play it up like when they even show them at the end like playing chess like i would think i would have enjoyed more if the main characters were the two of them and all of the other characters that we're seeing like wolverine and Jean gray know that those are just kind of like pawns on a chessboard to the two of them yeah kind of no i see what you're saying and like again that's that's definitely a thing i feel like more throughout all three movies like as they go on like that's a central thing so like you know i mean this movie does do a lot of heavy lifting to set up a franchise which is good but it does like to your point it does make the individual viewing of this movie less good i think the movie that did it the best that i can think of off the top of my head is uh batman begins where you know it has a villain that they like face off with and fight and it's all about these two guys and like their relationship and the mentorship that they had and like you know there's a satisfying end to that story and then at the end of the movie they're just like by the way we found this card that says joker on it and it's like okay cool there's gonna be a sequel that's literally all i needed um and figure everything else out later you know 
Um, like it works when you hone in on a central premise and everything about the story focuses in on that premise. Yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, like, I guess like you could also say Wolverine changes by the end of this movie because I, does he seem like the kind of guy in the beginning who would like risk his own life to save like some random teenage girl? Like probably not, you know? learns to protect um, teenage girls so i don't like i don't know i feel like maybe we're being a little nitpicky i definitely oh, no. get I, the point of it like of what we're saying but i think though like they actually do a pretty good job of balancing it um and like i don't know it definitely takes away from this movie and this i definitely like later movies in the franchise better for sure um but i do think that they do a decent job overall of like balancing the two things and you know, it's easy to complain about the setup when I watched X-Men. You know, I'm probably much happier that it's there when I watch X2. You know what I mean? And no, I don't I don't want it to come off thinking that, like, I didn't like this movie because I, I did enjoy this movie. Um, and, you know, those things that we're talking about are just, you know, things that you notice when watching them that don't actively hurt the movie, but it's just stuff that you realize to be like, Oh, like it would have been more focused, but I still enjoyed the movie. And I do think this movie had a tall order in all of the things that it had to do in not only setting up a franchise, but introducing you to all these characters, um, you know, making it move and feel breezy and like a superhero movie should and not wear out its welcome and be like three hours, but be like clear and concise within two hours. Like it had a lot to do. Yeah, and that's probably this, my favorite part, by the way, is this, that this movie is an hour and 40 minutes long. It's it's really yeah, great. Yeah, the, 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 right on the money. And that's a, that's a tough juggling act to do. And while they don't always stick the landing, they, it, they do well enough that I you know, was never really bored watching this movie. Um, and I still found myself enjoying it. And that's coming from somebody who does not normally, you know, enjoy a lot of superhero movies. So the fact that even despite these things that I am nitpicking about, I still really enjoyed the movie. And a lot of that is due to, I think is the balancing act between Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. I think their Charles Xavier and Magneto's relationship against the two of each other, um, on like this eternal chessboard fighting for mutant rights is such an interesting concept and executed very well in these movies. Yeah, I mean, right. That's like the strength of all the X-Men movies and probably just X-Men as a property is it's like this really interesting question about what happens when the people you want to persecute are like also really powerful, <laughs> you know, like yeah. even though they're a minority, like, and so I don't know, like, I definitely love that part of it. I, I think, what did you think of the action in this movie? Because I was watching it and I thought that that was a thing that I liked. And the more I've been thinking about it, it's just like amazing to think about how different it is than um, action now, you know, like like how the effects work and, and um, how big set pieces are. Um, so I don't know, like, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Did you think that was a plus or a minus? You can feel how limited they are in this go around um by the times by maybe you know like what they were able to pull off like on how big you can go but i'm i think the action in this movie at some points is solid but the i the ending the action ending is atrocious that scene Wait, which part specifically so the scene that I remember enjoying this scene as a kid and being like, that's so fucking dope. And then watching it now as an adult, I was like, that's so fucking stupid is when um, Sabretooth that he's uh, Wolverine and Sabretooth are fighting on top of the Statue of Liberty and he throws Wolverine and he like claws the tip of the of the crown and they do like the 360 camera track with them. So then like he lets go of it and then just somehow just defies the laws of physics to just write himself on it. And I'm like, this is, so, that's so stupid. Yeah, it looked kind of weird, right? Yeah, like, it looked I, wonky I, as I fuck. I didn't know that it was, I didn't know that I, I wouldn't call it stupid, but I know it definitely stood out to me where I was like, oh, wow, how did he end up like that, facing that way? That's not what I was, that's not what it looked like. I'm like watching it and it reminded me of that scene in like Emperor's New Groove when like, um, they, the bad guys show up before 
uh, David Spade. And he's like, how'd you guys get here before us? And she's like, yeah, how did we get here before us? And the guy's like, I don't know, looking at the map, it uh, just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, no, so, but yeah, I mean, that part was definitely a little bit weird. I thought um, it was really noticeable, like, that Cyclops, like, eye blasts were um, definitely not up to snuff with today's effects. Like, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, like, awful. And I remember at the time thinking that it was, like, really cool looking. Um, but watching it now, I'm kind of like, oh, that's, like, really hokey, actually. It's, like, very yeah. obviously fake. That's one of the ones where, at the time, it was probably, like, really revolutionary and, like, crazy. And with everything we've seen since then, it's become very muted and yeah, feels, like, like, limited. Yeah, like his eyes, I would say um, Magneto's like electromagnetic radiation machine, like that pulsed out and then. Oh like, yeah, that looked off when that like. It was dated. Beam, it was dated yeah, for sure. Yeah, when that beam shoots out like to the people towards Ellis Island, like it does. Uh, it, it you could it feels very mid two thousands. Again, like I remember at the time thinking that that movie like looked really cool and it was probably cutting edge, right? But yeah, it's it's just very obvious now. It's so, like that didn't hold up as well to me. So the action um, to me, well, I think the more scaled down action works better. So like when we first meet Wolverine um, up in Canada and he's fighting in the, the cage and then Rogue hitches the ride with him and he gets thrown out of the car when like the tree collapses, yeah, like that looked, that yeah. looked really good and that still held up. But whenever they had to go like big and grandiose and really take usage of the cgi of the era is where it started to like fall apart yeah so no i agree like the, that those early sections were um were really awesome and that's a big part of why i liked the first like half hour 45 minutes probably more than anything in this movie um and yeah the the special effects definitely got a little wonky at some times and then kind of like maybe maybe the tiebreaker here and the thing that I'm on the fence the most about in terms of like the action in this movie um, is that whole last like act when they're going into Ellis Island as the X-Men in their jet. It's just so much less big. It's so much smaller, I guess is the easier way to say that. Um, so much smaller than movies today in those ending set pieces that are usually so over the top. Like, not even in superhero movies, like, just in action movies in general, like Mission Impossible, um, even, like, Edge of Tomorrow. And I know I'm just naming Tom Cruise movies at this point, but... Man, <laughs> but There's but, a reason um, he's the king. Yeah, but just, like, straight science fiction movies or just regular action movies, those third acts are so big these days. Um, and, like, you could tell that, that this was two, the year 2000's version of big, but, like, it, it had a very, like, cheesy quality to it, which is, like, they get into the thing and everybody gets, like, one-on-one -on -one off, like, through these, like, really lame closing doors. And uh, the fights are, like, really underwhelming, right? Like, compared to... And, like, I don't even know... Underwhelming might be too strong of a word, because I don't... I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. It was just, like... And I kind of liked the end of this movie. But it, it's just so like strikingly different than what you see in a big movie like big ensemble blockbuster movie today well even just taking a look at it from you know just like the x-men comics to the movie you know when you get those x-men battles it's big and huge because there's so many of them and it's like a huge like battleground almost so it must have been like i guess yeah. a disappointing thing to see when it's like, oh, here it comes. Like, it's going to be like the Brotherhood facing off against the X-Men. We're going to get that big, huge, like, 4v4. And then they yeah, all just branch just like, off. So, like, lame, uh, lame combat. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, and it's very... Like, just get into this this headspace for a second, right? Yeah. You go to see a new X-Men movie in 2023. And, like, a big part of the last act of the movie is shot for shot that fight scene that toad has well it would be people would <laughs> it would be so losing underwhelming mind. right it would be I so mean, undercooked like, yeah he literally just like closes a few things with his tongue he like slaps somebody with his tongue um and then he does like the weird like toad jumps which at that point i was like all right this power is like a little bit better than i was giving it credit for 
Um, and then he like kicks somebody down an elevator shaft and does like a weird like spin move with that with that staff. Um, I think they're also limited by the fact that like they had to be kind of scaled back on the mutants they're picking because like just Toad in general is just like yeah, right, the worst. Right. Like the only it's time like, he did anything like... cool was when he like I, I don't know if it was on Ellis Island or somewhere, but he just like dives off of somewhere and you hear him literally just stomp a human being like like he lands on a dude's shoulders and just crushes him to death. And you're yeah. like, that's the first cool thing I've seen this guy do this entire, and it's the only cool thing I ever see this guy do the entire movie. Or no, he's actually, I take it back, he's not bad, but his problem is that the one good usage that he has, he uses once and then never uses it again. When he spits that like green slime at Jean Grey to the point that she can't breathe, it's like, why didn't you just do that to every single X-Man and you guys won? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that does seem pretty powerful. Like, you use that move once, that girl was choking to death. If it wasn't for Cyclops, like, she was dead. Yeah. No, so like, I don't know, I definitely see your point. Toad, like, in the script might as well have been named the guy who saves us money on special effects, right? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. like, because his powers are like, so like, not special effect driven. But Sabretooth also, he's just strong. Yeah, like, I mean, that's, like... that's another fair point, right? Like, he just like, puts some makeup on him and like, maybe a wig and then he's yes. Sabretooth. Well, you could tell, like, they definitely spent a lot of the money on Mystique. And it and that good that they did very because, cool. she, yeah, she looked great throughout the entire movie. Everything she does is is fantastic. Yeah, you thank you tell. for mentioning that because that yeah. was like the stuff that still does hold up in my opinion. Like when she yeah. morphs from like Iceman into back into Mystique when she's at the school. yeah that that special effect whenever she morphs always looks good. Yeah. So you could tell they put a lot into that one. And it's entirely possible that a large majority of the budget, because it was only 75 million, the budget. So like, that's, that's not that big when you look at like today. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was, that's a pretty substantial budget for a movie back then, I think. But it definitely shows in that part. Yeah. And I mean, even in the Cyclops parts, like at the time, like, I, like we said, that was probably pretty cutting edge. So I think, I think like, as somebody who watched this movie when it came out, I'd say they got their money's worth. You know, as somebody watching it 25 years later, I'm kind of like, eh, it looked kind of weird. But um, I think, yeah, I think they did a great job with a lot of it. And um, Mystique, honestly, is, like, such a convenient character to pick, too. Because her, her power is, like, so lame in terms of, like, plot. You know what I mean? Like, and she's, she's basically a walking do a sex machina for the bad guys like whenever yeah. we need something to move the plot forward we can just have her pretend to be Iceman and like tell rogue that uh charles xavier is really mad at you and you better get out of here yeah it's like it's like she's like a walking like mission impossible mask you know what i yeah. mean like that's like <laughs> which again there's been two mission impossible movies at this point that use that make great use of those masks and that's just kind of like it feels like that's the whole reason she's in the movie outside of the fact that Rebecca Romaine is really hot. Um, like that's like the whole reason she's in it. Cause it's like, Oh, we can keep doing these like weird body switch moves. Like these body yeah. switch scenes. And it definitely feels that like a lot of it was what can we save money on and what is super convenient. Um, Cause even like Magneto, like, he moves the metal and everything, but it's like with Ian McKellen, it's not like he's doing a lot of heavy lifting there either. It it definitely feels like they got as many starter mutants as they possibly could to save money on the budget. Um, but yeah, the ones yeah. where the, but the ones where they do use it do look really well. Like like we said, Mystique looks great. That scene when um the the drunk dude is trying to get his money back from Wolverine and Wolverine like pulls the two claws out and then slowly pulls the middle one yeah. out like that still looks fantastic yeah it looked and amazing that, yeah that looked freaking great so the ones that they do use the money on still do look good and and Storm's effect um still holds up pretty well like whenever they make usage of like any type of like weather event which is that one still yeah like me when up. she does that really horrible one-liner before she zaps the toad guy in the tongue with the lightning yeah that was that's one of the, another thing that there's no quotable dialogue really in this movie that 
I would go back to really. And some of the ones that you can tell that they maybe wanted to do not land. Yeah, I mean, like, the there's not, like, a one-liner that stands out to me in a positive way. And, you, you know, like, a, like those action one-liners that were, like, probably in their peak at the time that this movie came out. Yeah, um, every like, yeah, like, I don't know who... That one doesn't stand out in a good way. That yeah, Toad like... one, I've heard that the Toad one made more sense in an earlier cut of the movie. Because, like, the way they filmed it, apparently the Toad was supposed to have a lot more lines and would always be saying things like, oh, you know what a toad does like this? You know what I mean? Or like what happens when a toad does this? Like he was gotcha. supposed to say so that like... a bunch throughout the movie. So like there was supposed to be some kind of context for that line, but like, I don't even know that the context helps, you know, like. Yeah, once you got rid of all of his, like hers should have went too. But then at that point, you're recontextualizing the entire way that she gets rid of him at the end. But yeah, I don't know who on the day was like how Holly Berry was like yeah sure i'll say that line do you know what happens I mean, to a toad when it gets struck by lightning what's she gonna do not say it i guess I no know. i know but like, i would just be like bro like really this line really yeah the same I mean, that's thing like that one happens of... to everything else she's another one that doesn't really have a lot of lines in that movie dude i so heather watched a small portion of this movie with me by the end she kind of tuned out but I think like the first two thirds of the movie, like she even turned to me and was like, has Halle Berry said a word yet? And I was like, I think she said like one sentence. Right. She's definitely like, yeah. So I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's just very interesting the way that like, I do like this movie, but they've somehow managed to make like nobody like really stand out in, in the, in a big way. I don't know. It's just, it's a very interesting way they did it with this ensemble. And like, I think a big part of it is it's it's freaking me out like who's famous now compared to who was famous then and like how some of these like much bigger actors now are like basically invisible in this movie it's just like very interesting the way that it worked out it's crazy they got a lot of people before they really became big like hugh jackman is everywhere now um holly berry was what she was still two years out from winning an academy award when uh she was in x-men i don't think wait the way you worded that was funny. It made it sound like Sorry. she won an Academy Award for X-Men. For X-Men. Uh, yeah, dude. I think in her I stellar turn in X2. It was like 2004, which is what she, um, I think that's what somewhere. she won the Oscar for, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Yeah. So that was somewhere in the mid-2000s. Um, so yeah, you had a lot of like up-and-coming people here that were like James Marsden as Cyclops. Like you had so oh, many people. Yeah, that yeah. Were, yeah. That have really gone on to become huge actors and then you have you know magneto's side where like i don't think anyone's ever heard from Sabretooth ever again yeah and dude do you did you know who Sabretooth was i know he's a wrestler right yeah so i, I, watched, I don't know um, which wrestler but i i remember that he was a wrestler but i don't remember who yeah i don't i couldn't even tell you his name honestly but i watched this on amazon and so like i i would always like i was like mousing every once in a while to see like the little trivia pop-ups that amazon oh, that pops up so you'll appreciate this. The original person who was supposed to play Sabretooth in this movie, I'll give you like, I don't know, one guess. Think wrestling. No, in wrestling? It was supposed to be yeah, a different it was a wrestler. wrestler? Yeah. It was supposed to be a different wrestler. Different wrestler, yeah. I mean, the one that stands out to me that probably would have fit perfect there is Triple H. Nope. No. It wasn't Triple H. It was it, Kevin Mr. Nash. Kevin <laughs> Yeah, and it was like uh, from from what I read on this blurb on Amazon, it was a done deal. Like he had the part, and um, there was like I guess a scheduling conflict or something that came up, so he didn't end up doing the movie. But oh the guy God. who did was like one of his like tag partners at some point. <laughs> That's hilarious. I like how they were like, we can't get this wrestler. We should get another wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, because that was so a big funny. thing back then too. Was like putting wrestlers in your action movies as like yeah. these like these goonish villains. Yeah, like, remember Triple H was in Blade. I think Blade Two. Yeah, he was, no, it was uh, Trinity, right? It was the third one. Yeah, maybe I don't remember. The one, the one with Ryan Reynolds. I don't remember. I think that was. The third. He was he was in one of them. Like The Rock was in like the Scorpion King of like version of the Mummy. It was like a yeah. thing that happened a lot back then. You put them in, and every... I mean, I guess technically it still happens now. Yeah, but now, like, you got actual juggernaut wrestlers that are, you know, cool actors these days. Hey, juggernaut's not in this movie. He's not in it until the next <laughs> God.
but um yeah and then um the other the other one um that i thought was interesting about this was like i'd forgot that anybody had ever played Sabretooth besides uh leave schreiber so i was like wait a minute like leave schreiber wasn't Sabretooth. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, you know, I, like, he literally, I like paused the movie and went back. I was like, no, wait a second. It's him, right? He plays him in X2 then. Like, when does he play Sabretooth? I thought he was the only one. Unfortunately, he only he showed up. Play, he didn't play him until like X, like um, Wolverine Origins. Origins or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He unfortunately did not get to play him until the absolute travesty that was X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah, what a dropped ball, though. He was so much better as Sabretooth than the clowns they had in this in this movie. Well, I guess, like, I wonder if they, at that point, had shot their load in regards to, like, getting somewhat decent actors, and they were just like, we need someone we can get for really cheap that just looks menacing, right. and they were right. like, just we get a wrestler. who's going to work at, like, close to scale, and uh, they're not yeah. going to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because also, like, I don't, does Sabretooth say a word other than just, like, growling in this movie? <laughs> I think he has a couple of lines, yeah. Like, yeah. they were very, like, forgettable, though. So, like, you're just like, we don't need to pay somebody big for that. Like, just get, like, just get a wrestler. Throw him in there. Just have him growl a bunch. <laughs> He's got really filed-down teeth. Because then they did yeah. the same thing with Toad, where they got Ray Park, which, granted, Ray Park is, you know, for what he's done in the world. He was, like, the pre-Andy Circus. Just not as you know good of like an actual actor, but he was oh, you know because he was okay. Darth he Maul, was like a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, because he he was Darth Maul, and then they had him as Toad. Um, but he's probably another one that they were just like he probably worked for scale and like we save a lot of money on this guy. Yeah, right, right, and he can do those cool jumps, and then like he can spin the staff at the end. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which wow, staff. now that I realize it's the guy who played Darth Maul, it's like wow, of course they asked him to spin that staff around for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, do some cool spin moves, bro. It's gonna look great. Yeah. Just like you're not just Toad, you're like a karate expert. Go for it. Yeah, but there are um, so many things in this movie that feel so. You know, like late 90s, early 2000s that had me grinning from ear to ear and just remembering like those times when like movies, even though they were serious at times, could still be like really like over the top silly. Like the scene when Wolverine steals Cyclops's motorcycle and he's like driving in the night and then he hits like the boost and it starts going so fast. You just see him like doing that like weird smile while like the wind is hitting him. And you're just like, dude, this is the silliest shit ever. And it has the really sped up like motion capture camera while it's going through the like winding roads. Yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. This is so early 2000s. It hurts. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I think a lot of the stuff we were saying about the effects in this movie can apply to like basically any movie from this time period, you know? Like, oh yeah like i'm sure like, x-men's not the only you know yeah uh, like a lot of it hits a lot of it misses a lot of it you look back on and you're like oh wow that still actually looks pretty good and a lot of it you're just like oh my god who put this in this movie um so yeah, yeah it, like it's definitely like it's like it's weird that you can almost identify it by that that trait that it's from this time period you know it almost is like a trope in and of itself that like early 2000s movie yeah 100 percent. yeah it's like, like the you, movies like this are like a time capsule for me because they're yeah. it's just so funny to think that there was a time where this was like the biggest most over-the-top movie anybody was making it's it's funny to see like the the juxtaposition of it where like it, it feels so scaled back compared to what we see today but at the same time like it was the biggest thing of its era but feels so of its era yeah, it's yeah, it's just such a funny, funny uh, comparison to look at when you look at these movies. But definitely one of the better superhero movies that I've watched. Like, I, it didn't it didn't hurt me to go back and rewatch this. Like, it has some other superhero movies that I've seen in my time and ones oh, yeah, that I we're going throw some names at me. Well, the ones that we're going to get to later on uh, down the line, like think of any. Any superhero movie that we saw in high school that wasn't batman or spider-man oh yeah because we're getting into like um daredevil Anything, yeah and electra yeah and, uh, yeah exact fantastic four right yeah 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 so like 
Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Remember how bad that was for so long? <laughs> yeah. We just, we just named, like, probably, like, five of, like, the top 20 worst movies I've ever seen. And those were the superhero movies that we get, got to grow up with, folks. Like, outside of the Chris Nolan Batman and the Sam Raimi Spider-Man and these X-Men movies, like, that's what we had. Yeah, or, like, the Eric Bana uh, Hulk yeah that's like not too long <laughs> after this that's like 2003 2004 right something yep. like that ghost rider oh ghost rider was really good though come on all right it wasn't until spirit of vengeance that things really went south for ghost rider that'll be a fun one to return to because i don't think i've watched ghost rider since we've seen it in theaters same for most of these like i i don't think because I'm pretty sure we hated Electra when we saw it back then, too. So there's no way I've ever returned to Electra. Uh, yeah, Electra was awful. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So that's get, gonna getting be in. an interesting one to do on this podcast. Yeah. So, like, those, those I were. Know, our... I saw that in theaters with you for sure. I know yeah, that. Yeah. Those, and those were the superhero movies that we got to grow up with. Like, there, we didn't get no MCU, no DCEU, none of the shit you guys got today. Those are our superheroes. Do you have anything else? Anything else that drops out of note for X-Men? No, I mean, other than, I guess, like, my final thought would be that this is the second week in a row where all, like, I was thinking while watching this movie was, like, man, the second one is so much better. <laughs> like, yeah, I had that same thought, too, because I remember that the X2 is, like, the peak of the X-Men franchise. Yeah, like 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 last week I was saying with Scary Movie, the whole time I was just mad it wasn't Scary Movie 3. Um, that's kind of how I felt about watching this movie. It was just like, it just made me remember more things about X2. And I was like, man, I could just be watching X2 right now. That movie is so much better than this. Um, so yeah, like that's kind of like my final thought. Like it's probably going to get a low score because I just know like that they really deliver on this premise a later next ones. time. Yeah, well, I, I guess that's something that can go against it and in its favor, because at the same time, while you're sitting there and being like, oh, like the next one is really where it hits. I wonder how well that would hit if that was just a standalone movie and we didn't get a, like the full setup from this movie to lead into that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I haven't seen X2 in a while, um, but I have a feeling that it stands alone pretty well is my guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't watched that one in a while, too. So it will be interesting to see if that one holds up better as a standalone movie and manages to juggle everything that we've kind of discussed in this one. Yeah, because I mean, not to get too, too ahead of ourselves here, but that's kind of like what they set up when they're in the middle of that chess match at the end is that they're like, well, what happens when, you know, aren't you afraid that these people are going to come and find you and grab you? And he's like, yeah. And it's like, that's literally what the second movie is about. Like, that's what the whole movie is about, is that people come after Charles Xavier and his school. Nice. So in, in that sense, like, I think it's very standalone because, like, if you just started that movie and, like, I am aware of what X-Men is and you're like, hey, this is Charles Xavier. This is his school. I'm like, all right, cool. I know everything I need to know about what this movie is about. I think I would echo mostly everything that you said. It... um it is one of those movies that you watch and I did enjoy it. I didn't hate it. Um, but it is one of those ones where you're watching it and you're just thinking about like the ones that they've done better. And I don't want to like, let that affect my score for this one, but it definitely is something that sits there in the back of your head while you're watching this one. Oh, that it's you're definitely just like affecting my score. <laughs> fair. That is, that is fair. But yeah, I mean, it's, at the end of the day, it's a superhero movie, so I try not to go too deep into my, like, criticizing of it, because at the end of the day, it's it's just supposed to be, like, dumb fun anyway. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, all right, Jim, let's hear it. Final rating for X-Men. Uh, all right, so I'm torn. Here um... we go. This is This is always the hardest time for you as we get to it because i know you're just thinking about the list in the back of your mind while you're crafting it's your all i'm thinking about it's all i'm thinking about because <laughs> because i'm sitting here and i'm saying i'm waffling between two scores right and i'm saying to myself that this one potentially makes this way too high on the list and this one potentially makes it way too low on the list um 
<laughs> Again, because Rugrats is way too high. <laughs> like, like, so I am going to see how this plays out, and I'm right. going to go with my gut here and give this movie a 2.5. Ooh. A two point five from yeah, Jimbo. dead in the middle. It was it was enjoyable, um, but at the same time, it was disappointing and like kind of underwhelming. If only because I know that they make the better X Men movie like a couple years later. I'm actually surprised by that score because I thought you would honestly give it a better score than I would, but we're actually in the inverse here because I am actually that going out. to give it three stars. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. No, yeah, I, I'm not, I, I would, to me, this is right, like, like you're saying, like middle of the line. This is right middle of the pack for me. It's, it has plenty of stuff in it that I enjoyed, plenty of stuff in it that I criticized. But at the end of the day, it was just a solid, enjoyable movie. Yeah. And, and like, this isn't a dig on it in any way, but the runtime definitely helps. Like, the fact that it's shorter, like, keeps so engaged and, and keeps it like, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, it was good because it ended earlier. Like, I just <laughs> mean, like, <laughs> like it was, it, the pacing was much better because this wasn't, like, a two, three-hour epic. So that's, like, yeah, it's enjoyable. It's, like, you get in, you get out. And um, other than that, it's nothing really, no great shakes. Absolutely. So with your 2.5 and my 3, that brings us to an overall score of 5.5, which puts this movie... What? What do you, you? I can I can see you itching to say something. What do you? Got? I think that's kind of right where I hoped it would be. I think oh, so this, because like, I, when I gave it a two point five, my worry was that you would also give it like a two, and then it would be like right near Rugrats when it's far superior to Rugrats. I want to make that clear. <laughs> so I think I'm pretty happy with where it ended up. I'm pretty happy with five point five. That's right. Yeah, I think and, and five point five is you know that's right in the middle of the pack. Like we said, like this this. I think the score definitely reflects our feelings on this movie. Um, and even right here, as you look on the list, it's sandwiched right in between. It it sits below four of the best movies and then above four of the lower movies that we've done. So oh, this wow. Movie, so it's literally yeah, right dead center yeah, right now. Literally dead of the pack. It sits what's right the, now. What's the closest thing below it and the closest thing above it? So it's it's right behind Star Wars Episode One which sits okay. with six and then it's just ahead of pokemon the movie which sits at five well technically pokemon and scary movie are tied at five um, right, so it okay. sits right above right above those two so that's yeah that i mean that sounds about right honestly it's better right? than the other movies like in my opinion and it's probably a little bit worse than phantom menace but both of those movies are like kind of mediocre yeah so i i would say i'm i'm also pretty happy with where that movie ended up landing here uh, on the list. So we, we, we passed to fight another week. Yeah, we, we pass another week where Jim can rest easy knowing that the list hasn't become a complete travesty to him it yet. It still has some integrity. <laughs> but we still are early on. And uh, don't worry, we will have plenty of opportunities to absolutely destroy this list for you. Yeah, well, we'll see when it happens, and I'll believe me, I'll let you know when it happens. Oh, so know, far, so good. No, you will. Well, maybe as we turn our attention to next week, will next week's movie potentially be able to finally break the camel's back for you here, Jim? Any, uh, I'm going to give you as always. We'll do our solid little guessing game for you. So next yeah, week's yeah. movie is actually a Christmas movie. Okay. So we went from three three straight weeks of Rob taking me to the movies in July and then never went again until the holidays. <laughs> so we've got a Christmas, a 2000s Christmas movie. Yeah, starring... which, by the way, that's that's pretty normal movie going habits. You go to a bunch of movies in the summer and then you like probably see one movie around Christmas. That's fair. When you're a so kid. Wait, so when you say it's a Christmas movie, do you mean it came out around Christmas or like it's about Christmas or both, I suppose? I mean, if it's about Christmas, it probably came out around Christmas. Yeah, both. It came, it came out around the holidays. I think it came out like right around Thanksgiving. Um, and it, but it, it was meant for the holidays. It is a Christmas movie. It stars probably the biggest comedian of that time. Of that time, like comedian in terms of movies. Yeah, movies, not like stand-up comedian or anything, but like the biggest comedy actor at that time. Uh, 
Alright, so... 90s, two comedy actors jump out to me right away. Uh, okay. And that's Adam Sandler and Jim Carrey. It's one of those guys. Um, Eight Crazy Nights is an Adam Sandler movie, but you said it's about Christmas, and that movie's about Hanukkah, and I think it's like a little bit older, or sorry, a little bit newer than 2000. I think Eight Crazy Nights, we were possibly in high school by then. I know it was later into the 2000s. Yeah. So yeah, Christmas, Jim Carrey, early 2000s. It's got to be The Grinch, right? That's like the only thing that makes any sense. Oh, it is The Grinch, all right. Yes. We will be diving into... actually pretty into... good at this game. Yeah, it's not too bad. Well, I mean, it definitely... I feel the like once... Help. Yeah, the hints help. I feel like once I went biggest comedy actor of the era, it kind of helps uh, lighten that load because how many comedy actors at that point had a Christmas movie? Yeah, I don't know. I'm there's probably people I'm not thinking of, but those were probably, just like the but, first two that come to mind. But that is the biggest one. But yes, we will be diving into Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh an absolutely quintessential Christmas movie, uh, if I do say so myself. I yeah, this is one that I definitely have some mixed feelings about. It'll be interesting to go back and watch again. It'll be a fun one to die. Have you do you watch have you watched that movie? Is that on your Christmas playlist? Do you watch do you do Christmas movies around the holidays? You uh, do you dive into Christmas movies, or is that not your style? Yeah, no, I definitely do. Like me and my dad and my brother watch Die Hard usually. Um, well, hey, Pete, there might be some people here that would heavily contest. Oh, God, I don't want to talk about it. It's such a stupid <laughs> debate. Like, it's obviously a Christmas movie. It starts with like Christmas tunes and like like yeah. everybody's in like santa hats he's at a christmas i mean if there's party. a yeah, there's a fucking christmas tree in it like <laughs> yeah and and not to mention it's all about him like reconnecting with his family like come on <laughs> so doesn't it take place on christmas day or like christmas eve uh yeah you like yeah, you so tell me like... the difference between the arc that bruce willis has in die hard and the arc that arnold schwarzenegger has in jingle all the way just so you tell me the difference they're, they're just like dads that need to learn to stop working so hard and put their family first, you know? Um, Dude, that is so spot on. It's amazing. Just two jokes. Yeah, so like right we there. do Die Hard. Me and my dad usually watch Reindeer Games. I don't know if you remember that that movie. That is one. No, I do remember that movie because you were the one who told me to watch that movie. And I had never been happier with the decision of my life because that is <laughs> yeah. such good schlock. Well, that is fantastic. Honestly, I'm going to have to look up when that movie came out because that might be another good pick for uh, a couple episodes here in a couple episodes here. Oh, definitely. I, I think that was late 90s. So it should be right around in that time frame. Yeah, I'll have to double definitely. check. But like we watch those definitely. movies and then, yeah, I watch like 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 other random Christmas fair. But this is not one of them. This is not, not one of way to watch. Oh, man. Yeah. So this this will be a fun one to dive into, though, to see then the difference um an opinion i think i think this might be a good one where we might be on opposite ends here finally yeah i mean like i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't say right now that i overtly dislike it it is just kind of like forgettable so like i'm interested to see what i think about it when i go back and watch it like revisiting now see but that's that's what i mean like you're gonna be you're coming there from a perspective that it's not a movie that's really on your repertoire a lot like you're coming back to this for the first time and god knows how long and yeah. i'm one of those ones who's who you know obviously watched this, you watch kid. this every year not every year um, but I do I've I've watched it more often than a lot of other movies um, around the holidays. If gotcha. that makes any sense. Yeah, it's 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 definitely one of those ones that like if I'm in the mood for the Chris, for a Christmas movie, like that one's always in rotation. Sounds good. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, so that's that's going to be a good one. But that will be for next week. This is the end for us. Jim, do you have anything to leave the people with this week? You know what happens when this podcast ends? The what? same thing that happens when every other podcast ends. <laughs> now, see, that joke worked really well earlier because we said, like, you know what Toad does throughout the entire podcast, but then we had to cut all those lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's but, say that it worked. Let's yeah. not, <laughs> you could have stopped there. I'll take it. There you go. But that will do it for all of us here in this episode of Front Row Cinema. As always, until next time, we'll see you at the movies.